0: Hi everyone and welcome back to uh, another episode of We Inspire, as always, I say it every episode to be honest, I'm always excited to do these ones. This one I'm very excited about because it's a different route to success in digital which I've not done, it's not necessarily heard of all the time but we're seeing so much more of it and I'm so excited to be it's the first of its kind so I am super excited to announce Rhea Fox. Rhea, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Hello, Terry. Thanks for the invitation. How are you? I'm really great, thank you. It's Friday. We've had a positive week and uh, nearly the weekend.
0: And I think it's quite public on your LinkedIn, on everyone's feed. Rhea, you're in your new role now, aren't you?
1: I am in my new role. So, yeah, I just finished a really great stint as um digital lead on Monsoon Accessorize, covering sick leave. And yes, thank you. I've just started at TED, uh, three and a half weeks into the job, and really having a blast. So, yeah, thank you very much.
0: Three and a half weeks, and you've already got time for a podcast.
1: <laughs> well, don't tell everyone.
0: <laughs> so, look, thank you so much for joining me. As I said, we've been speaking and building all this up. Um, I told you that I've been trying to get you on for a little while to be honest I think I was uh, very excited because the career you've had and to share this quite unique route that you've taken but we're seeing more of it so before we go into that though I am always 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 excited to do these uh quick fire rounds first of all because they let uh, yeah sometimes they get me in trouble sometimes they don't we'll, we'll see how they go
1: who?
0: so let's go right first one celebrity crush
1: Michael Fassbender who? Michael Fassbender.
0: You said that really quickly.
1: Did I? I'll slow down a bit. <laughs> but right. yeah, don't have to think about that one.
0: I was going to say you did say that rapidly. Like, that was <laughs> like you've got him on a wall or something. Like, it was, didn't think straight up there. I don't even know who it is. Who is it?
1: He's an actor. He's been in the X Men films and loads of other indie stuff as well.
0: But oh, he's an X Men, body of a god, something that I don't possess. So we're going to move on. Right, next one. If you could be any fictional um, character, who would that be? Um, She-Ra. Right, I'm staying there because I don't know if my big brother is ever going to listen to this, but he's going to kill me. He fancied the pants off of her when he was younger. It's it's connecting with He-Man, isn't it?
1: That's right, yeah.
0: So, yeah. I, yeah, my brother used to do this. I can't, I can't. He'd kill me. He would absolutely, that's I'm going to move on, because he will absolutely kill me if I say this on live. But <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you offline, because it is brilliant. If you could go back in history, what era would you go to? Uh,
1: ancient Rome.
0: Any specific reasons?
1: Yeah, I look great in Toga.
0: Love that. I just um, love that. Literally, I just look great in a toga. To be honest, that's all.
1: Well, I love that period of history, and um yeah, I mean, going back to weird, weird roots, I actually did uh, quite a lot of history through my education, and did a history degree as well. So, so, so big fan of all of the uh, ancient history.
0: And you look great in a toga. Let's just we'll, we'll we'll just go on that as well. <laughs> if you say pineapple to my next question, this is going to be the quickest podcast ever. Favorite pizza topping.
1: Spicy badge, never
0: ever any pineapple. Thank you. It doesn't belong on a pizza. It really doesn't. I, I do question like friends and everything. Like, I don't know how we can maintain relationships if you have pineapple on a pizza. <laughs> so if any listeners have pineapple, you can switch off. Don't, but yeah. I didn't mean that by the way. And this is a topic of everyone at the moment, and something that's massive in our we've got a leaderboard for it. Biggest ick.
1: How do you get to the top of the weird board, the leaderboard by having the weirdest dick or the most no, who
0: weird? so our leaderboard is basically if someone does an icky thing in the office
1: oh, I and see. we build
0: up how many times and we have ick of the week.
1: Okay. I don't know if oh I've maybe um I've maybe misinterpreted this. I have loads of icks, not necessarily related to people. Um I mean my biggest dick is I hate any form of slimy food. So mayonnaise, avocado Bananas. I'm quite scared of all of those things. They're they scared of bananas. Yeah, anything slimy <laughs> is 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 really gross. I guess my biggest on a person. This is a bit. This is a bit mean, isn't it? But I cannot stand being around people who have got unclean hair. That smell of unwashed hair is just enough to tip me over the edge. <laughs> so
0: um, it, we we've chat on our. We've got our so we contents too next week. And we've got a video of Shannon, um, where so Shannon's a big part of on I think her personalities are amazing, and there is a video of her sharing her icks, and she's got an it You know, like when you're on a train, yeah, And someone wobbles when they're walking.
1: Oh, that's very intolerant. That's that's not their fault. <laughs>
0: she's, they are, but like, you know when they, they she's got some really good ones. Uh, we'll get onto the podcast in a minute. One of them is you know when you get spun round on a barber chair.
1: Yeah.
0: She thinks that's an ick.
1: That's weird. She needs to... Honestly, I
0: can't. I'll send you the video because it's actually brilliant. Um, Her icks really make me laugh. So, right, into the serious stuff, though. So, obviously, we we, we spoke about the build-up to get into this podcast. It's kind of not the traditional route to c-suite because you've been obviously a chief digital officer trading director but it all started in insights and analytics and but it's becoming a little bit more I don't know when to use the word but normal but it's people looking yeah. at it and thinking that is a normal route now yeah. before we get into that if we can get a bit of an introduction to you and we'll start there
1: yeah sure so as you said terry I I started life in kind of customer insight and analytics fell into it when I was a student you know working in my final year and just kind of stuck around afterwards and weirdly I guess if it's not weird enough to come from kind of a research background to doing what I do now but I started life as a quali and for many years I would have told you I really hated the numbers the numbers was really tedious <laughs> I didn't like data Qual quant was tedious you know I was all about the qual and so I spent and I don't want to minimize it because it was a wonderful career but you know probably the first 10 years of my career in a mix of kind of ad agencies so very so specifically one-to-one agencies and and client-side insight roles. So pretty standard. And I guess the natural destination at that point is you, you become an insight director and then get that for a bit and most people go off and run their own agencies or whatever. And yeah, I guess where things really, really changed was working in ad agencies, one-to-one agencies, you get naturally a lot of exposure to kind of marketing planning and specifically CRM. And that, that became kind of a bit of my sidebar. Right? I always loved CRM. And that's how I really started, in in addition to the quant, kind of learning to love numbers, as I do now. And then I guess where things really changed for me, though, was at eBay, where I was doing an insight lead role, insight director role for Europe. Really enjoyed it, but had opportunities to do a lot of other stuff. So myself and my work wife on the data side led on uh, reworking our segmentation globally, which was terrifying. I run our European customer program, and as you said, I, I did the trading director's appointment for six months while I was there as well. So I guess that's where I really broadened out my skill set and learned how to do how to do other things. And then I was really motivated at that time to do a marketing role. Really wanted to do it and couldn't quite make it happen at eBay. So that's why I moved actually consciously to Reviva because I knew they had a really great reputation in terms mm. of moving people across departments so I spent a couple of years doing insight there and then achieved what I wanted to do in terms of moving into a into a marketing role and so I guess to your point in terms of making it happen that's a combination well I guess we'll come on to talk about it but you know a combination of sort of conscious and unconscious factors that it meant I could broaden out a little bit and then yeah I, I landed at Paper Chase, so I took voluntary of at Aviva I wasn't quite sure what to do with myself and then One of our one of my ex eBay colleagues, our our RMD, who's always been really supportive to me, was one of the Neds at Paper Chase and said, you know, here you're becoming available. Come join us. So so that was kind of how I've kind of gone through life. And people do find it quite weird. Recruiters find it weird. My mom finds it weird. (laughs) Um, You know, yeah. So it is it's been a combination, I think, of kind of luck and judgment or deliberate moves and kind of undeliberate ones as well, I would say. And so, yeah,
0: I think, like we said, we are seeing more of it, though, because I think we spoke about it, didn't we, which was that there was this stigma around data years ago. It was like a geeky thing to do. It's now becoming so cool and such a poignant part of any successful e-commerce business, isn't it?
1: Yeah, totally. And and I think we are going to see more of it. We absolutely are. And I've spoken about this before, but roles... I guess the way I think about it is in the old world, you know, if you looked at a C-suite, it was all pretty kind of, not silo, but it was verticalized, right? You were a CMO, you did some creative stuff. You were a finance guy, CFO, you did finance. And then there might have been like a CTO doing IT and and data might sit there or it might sit with the CMO. And then there was kind of the commercial bit. So the hardcore kind of commercial buying merch, all that stuff. I think specifically about um, e and actually, you know, and I know this is much to the kind of the chagrin of a, <laughs> a marketing director, but you know, as data has become common currency in so many more disciplines, and, and particularly as digital marketing and its ROI is is, is more able to be managed, and more experiences become digitalized, what's happened is that the gap between marketing and finance has shrunk massively. Data functions uh, and and those that surround them have become absolutely crucial to business performance, marketing efficiency, you know, revenue generation. Even if you think about something that customer experience that used to be probably very CS related, now that we have great UX and measurement, you know, that link between the customer experience and the revenue is 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 ever more established and clear. So. I see why it's come together. It's come together because data is just common currency on which successful businesses are run. So people with data backgrounds and skills, I think, are becoming increasingly visible, you know, um, and intrinsic to senior leadership teams. So, yeah, bring it on. I say, you know, it's wonderful. But it does mean, I think, that leadership teams are going to change because the roles of CDO, Chief Customer Officer, CMO, they are Chief Revenue Officer, Growth Director, they are they are coming together. And it will be interesting to see how that plays out because it's not the same everywhere.
0: A hundred percent. And we're seeing Growth Directors, um, this could cost me business to be fair. <laughs> this could cost me business. I hate the job title, Growth Director. It doesn't make any sense.
1: Some people think it means some businesses call a growth director and and particularly pure plays I found they call it's what you or I might call a digital marketing director because there's yeah. that link is so linear in pure plays heads, which is particularly at early stage I pump in some cash and I get some growth and and it's about how you you manage digital marketing but but growth directors are you know so much more than that and weirdly some of them are being called chief revenue officer which in my head is a finance role so yeah it's 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 very gray area i do agree it's
0: yes yeah, it's, it's one i've spoken to two or three clients this year and they've approached us with the title and like, i want to change yeah. it because you won't because you get a mismatch because no one really understands all roles in i think not just in e-commerce but in any business is to drive growth so where does it, it sit weird.
1: Agreed, and unless those people have the funds and skills to do what's needed to be done, I think it can be kind of a difficult role. A bit like chief customer obviously used to be, where you're kind of knocking on the doors, try and make stuff happen, you know. So yeah, it's an interesting one. But but actually, you know, a strategic data or insight person who's had some exposure to commercials would be ideal in that role because you know that that is a that is a strategic role. That takes a step back. So yeah. where's money on the table? Bigger bets or short term, and then goes activates it. So, yeah, an interesting. Is I I love this space, but yeah, it's not clear what roles they'll be on the table. I think in in you know five years time.
0: For this podcast, I want to use this in a different way. So, of course, I want to inspire the future generation because this is what it's all about. But it's also a bit more of an educational because we've got this thing where we want to give different options to clients Mm. what you should be looking at. So, one of my questions. For yourself, is what is the experience that someone with a background within insights and that that kind of experience route that has that your traditional digital director doesn't necessarily have.
1: Now, interesting. What a good question. Well, I guess what I would say is if I think about the digital directors that I know, and it's it's a smaller pool, I think, than people perhaps realise. Mm. There aren't that many of us around. But I think about those of us who are in e-comm, I feel like generally people will come into this role either through one of two routes. One will be kind of the marketing, performance marketing CRM, et cetera. The other one will be kind of a lot, a lot come from kind of buying merch, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then I guess I don't actually know of any, but presumably there are some who have also double-hatted come across from the IT side. I guess I can only really speak to my. For myself, but, the, but mm. I mean, certainly all the digital directors I know are highly numerate. And if they haven't been in insight or data roles, they're, they're certainly very comfortable with, with data. Mm. And I, I don't think you can do this job unless you enjoy the numbers and can at least get a, a good flavour for them. So I guess it's not necessarily essential at all to have come from an insight or data background, analytics background to do this role, but it you need to enjoy it and, and love it, I guess.
0: What are the strengths, though, that comes from having that insights
1: background? Obviously, the rigour. You know, yeah. that the way I think about digi, digi lead roles is you're looking at your business. You have a target and that can be top down, bottom up or hopefully both ways. And you have a, a suite of levers at your disposal across a range of disciplines that you can pull that will get you there. So, I guess the benefit of what a background in strategic insight and customer means is that you you're used to thinking in that way, How do I mm. pull a lever to achieve this? How do I touch an element of the customer journey or you know the marketing or whatever? So I guess that starting point probably is quite helpful to work on. You know if you're used to solving business problems with data, then a digital role is, is is a is a logical step when you think about it like that because that's all like that's all I do I solve problems yeah with data
0: absolutely and do you think though because this is again a conversation you and I had do you think there is a ceiling though for, for insight specialists is there a ceiling for them
1: in the current market there is yeah on an individual level should there be absolutely not I think one of the things. If I think about what's helped me make career pivots and grow and have new opportunities, the first thing is to do your job really well. I mean, that goes without saying. That's how you become, you know, and and all leadership teams have this. They have a sense collectively within the business of who the talent is, you know, the top 5%. Mm -hmm. And we all want them on our teams. And we are all always looking out if we're good leaders for, you know, how to progress those people. Right. All leadership teams have this. You really is one of those people where any member of the leadership team you can say what about joe and they all go oh yeah joe's good yeah mm. we like joe yeah we know who joe is and he's good so so the first thing i think you've got to be doing is, is, is be really good at your job and have your your line manager know about it and be identified as the talent and i i think one of the ceilings that insight and data people perhaps limits themselves are you know, if you're very blue, if you're quite introverted, if you believe in data, love data, you like to spend time. That that can make some of the people I've mentored over the years perhaps uh, a bit less likely to promote themselves and advocate for themselves and socialise, you know, network and all that stuff. And. I guess for me, that is that's one of the barriers, which is, you know, data people can analytical people could be naturally reticent to do that. And actually, you can be really great at your job and your manager might know it. you better, might be the best analyst in the world. But really, everyone else on the leadership team has got to be able to call oh, Yeah, I know Joe. Yeah, He did some good work for me. And I, I'd love him to come and work for me. So, so I think that's, that's a ceiling. 100 percent. Yeah. And that sweet spot <laughs> is where people on leadership teams will go. Do you know what I've got that job to be done? Joe, Joe gets things done. Joe, can you just have a go at this? Or mm. do you know what, Joe? There's an opportunity over here. We want it to do. We want you to do it. So, I think what's really important in terms of the ceiling is. It's a it's a lot easier to be given those opportunities within a business than it is to do a you know a, a business move and a role move. It, that's practically impossible. And if I think about you know the move I made from Aviva where I had marketing into the, the role I did at Paper Chase, again that came through my network of someone who heard I was becoming available and thought, do you know what, I know she can do that because if I applied for that role cold, I wouldn't have got it. I wouldn't have got past enough you know tracking system. And, and that's
0: where, I know you mentioned it, it's where recruiters look at it. Yeah. Whereas now, obviously, you've had the CDO, you are a trading director. Now, yeah. and again, I'm seeing it from my side, I'd look at it and go, yep, 100% digital director, I'm looking at it. But it's opening the industry's eyes to kind of go, look at these insights, people. They, they understand the data better than mm. anyone. Yeah. And what you can do to manipulate that data to see better return. Yeah. Um, so it's that. getting them to see that, isn't it? It's, it's it's getting that first bite, so to speak, and, and, and having that drive to, to transition into that bigger role.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things that can be hard is, you know, there's and you know this, you know this better than me, but. And I do it myself, which I shouldn't do. But, you know, you sit down and you go, all oh, right, what do you want? All right, fine, I want a head of CRM. I want them to have done 10 years of CRM in some um, e-commerce businesses. So that's kind of your wish list. Yeah. Now, if if you've got a great candidate where you go, actually, yeah, do you know what? They've only got four years, but before that they were doing this. If you know that individual really well and I've got a good relationship with you, if you said, do you know what, I just want you to see them. They're not what you've asked for, but just see them anyway. It's relationships that get feet indoors and those slightly stranger moves kind of push through. So, yeah, I think to answer your question, to overcome the weirdness or perceived weirdness, those relationships at all levels are just really, really important.
0: 100%. And,
1: and we put something
0: out the other day on my, um, on my socials around, the, very similar to this that we're talking about, are we all just fishing in the same pond? yeah are we all getting the same person there's someone else out there that could just be just as good but give you something different that could give your business something very different to what every other business has so it's just looking at options
1: you are all fishing in the same pond because when I see a role that come up and I speak to, you know, my digital director friends, it'll all be like, oh, we have you had this one coming through? Yeah. Does it look any good? Blah, blah, <laughs> We all end up getting exactly the same briefs. I'm sure it's true on the
0: market. It is 100 well. percent. I mean, yeah. I see it from this end and every time like, I'll get i just done a podcast today with Jen, she was amazing, and she was out for dinner last night with Susan Eggleton, who's the VP of Burberry, and it was like, oh, topics came up, and it was like, we all get the same stuff every time, and I do think the industry's quite naive to that, mm. they're like, you know they all talk, right, they're going to go and ask advice, <laughs> they're going to see where what stage they're at, they know the people better than we do. It is funny community. though, because it is. But what we what we need to do is is look at different alternatives. Like not what you want is necessarily right. Again, I listened to a podcast um from another recruitment business because I'm not sitting there saying I had the idea of this because I didn't. I listened to to a guy called Ollie Scott that owns um, Unknown, mm-hmm. and they do this thing where it's like you're seeing the unknown, and they're not always right, but it's just like they're great in their space. See them, see what they see what it's like. So. And I think it, and it resonated with what we want to do is just to give that. So I think it's like that with, the, with what we're saying about your transition into from Insights into this fully functional full p ownership of a digital business. Data and Insights can do that. They can move forward. They work with marketing. They work with trade. They they know the trade calendar. They can read a report. They, they're just that's a route to go.
1: It is, and I. Th- but I also think hiring managers need to take responsibility on this as well. So I've been looking through, you know, hundreds of CVs over the last few weeks. Got a phenomenal response to our roles, and it's on hiring managers as well. Particularly, I think, kind of the junior and mid levels to be able to look at someone's CV and go, okay. There's something there. And actually, I love to see it when particularly in marketing, digital marketers where they've done a bit of a few different things, because then I'm thinking, well, actually, sure, they might be doing a CRM role for me for you know a couple of years, but I can see how they might have longevity to do other stuff or be interested in other stuff. So as a hiring manager, you've got to keep a slightly more open mind than you might want. And you know, we're risk averse, we're, we want someone to quit, we want someone to hit the ground running, all that good stuff. But, yeah, I'm sure there are, you know, there are diamonds out there being missed just because they don't fit into a, you know, a, a really tight pigeonhole, you know?
0: 100%. Now, you've had massive roles. I mean, Aviva, whilst it's not necessarily in my normal world, the fashion and stuff, they're a huge business.
1: It was chunky, yeah. There, <laughs>
0: eBay. Paper Chase, now Ted, incredible businesses, leading innovation. What would you say your biggest learn has been from them? Now, in each of your roles, what's been your biggest takeaway? I think
1: the interesting thing for me is, you know, Paper Chase was really quite little on the digital side, and yet I'd come from before that eBay and Aviva. I mean, the, the the scale of eBay was just blow your mind astonishing you know <laughs> hundreds of millions of customers and billions and billions of turnover and I think it's easy to feel perhaps a little overwhelmed particularly if you're doing something like a segmentation it's global it's huge it's you know what I would say is whether you're operating at scale or you're operating at small much smaller the toolkit's the same your thinking process is probably the same the way you go about it might be different, style and culture and stuff. But but really, the once you know the toolkit, you know what you're doing. It doesn't matter if it's hundreds of millions of customers or hundred thousand, mm-hmm. all the same stuff. So so I think that that helps as a grounding exercise always. Because yeah, don't get me wrong. There were times at eBay and certainly at Viva, you know, you're about to sign off on ten million pounds of marketing, like. Oof. <laughs> you know, when you look at your team, and you look at you know thirty-five odd faces looking at you, you sometimes think, "Oh, hang on a minute." Um, and I, I don't generally get imposter syndrome, but sometimes you even go, "Well, this is a bit serious and grown-up, isn't it?" <laughs> But when did that happen? Yeah, but yeah, how did that happen? Yeah. And, um, so, so I think it's really important just to be able to take a step back and go, do you know what, it's all the same. Yes, it might be big, but it, it's all the same, the same toolkit. And then the other thing is, and maybe it's the same thing, I don't know, but, it, you know, if you're going to eat an elephant, you have to do it in stages. So it's just, for me, always one foot in front of another. Yes, she might have got a big business transformation to do, or yes, she might have got, you know, huge task to do but it's just being able to get up every day one foot in front of the other and, and make a change and and get on with the project work and I think that's probably how I've cope with it but yeah certainly and and I suppose some of that comes with confidence doesn't it because you know you ask you to you ask your 30, 30 year old subs to do it and you might have got a bit of fear but one of the small benefits of getting older is you uh, get a bit more fearless and a bit more confident. I love that I've never heard that
0: analogy before though. If you're going to eat an elephant, do it in stages. I love that.
1: You can pass through, true
0: though, isn't it? I love that. Yeah, I'm. I'm literally writing this down, thinking <laughs> that's the title of this episode. Love that. Yeah,
1: yeah, that yeah, is- yeah. You have to chunk it up, and and the same at Ted, right? You know, there's there's some big hairy stuff that that I need to do, but there's some stuff that can be done right here today, tomorrow, next week.
0: And that brings us on to the next question, which is all about Ted. Because what a brand, like such rich heritage in not just the UK, but internationally. Um, I've had the the pleasure of working with Ted years ago with who is now one of my dearest friends, Scott Taylor. And even then it was amazing. But it just seems like there's so much excitement going on with the, with the acquisition recently. You've been appointed to come in and, and really drive that digital innovation. What's exciting for you down there? What are you excited about?
1: I mean, obviously the brand that goes without saying. So, Oops. you know, you could have seen my smile from space on the on the day that contract was signed. So I was I was super happy. So so that goes without that with without saying. I mean, I think what was I excited about? I really like working in investor by businesses. Not everybody does. Mm. They come with their own set of challenges specifically around kind of growth, but but the authentic brands um, acquisition really excited me to be part of you know a global suite of very cool brands with a with a really kind of heavy B2C slant. So so that's kind of the TED aspect which is the brand and, and the authentic mm. brands. Piece. But but I think generally, you know, it's all the things we've talked about. I love B2C e commerce. I love the pace. I love that it's changing all the time. I love the opportunity that's there in Omni, and we're building out some quite cool tech to support that in, in Q1, which I'm thrilled about. And I love love a bit of Omni myself. So so I think it's about the pace and the challenge of uh, B2C e-commerce, particularly at the moment when, you know, let's be frank, the economy not great. Um, I've always quite enjoyed, you know, being in sectors where the challenge is, is kind of stiff. So So I love that. And I think, you know, there's a fantastic opportunity with Ted um to do to do some really great work. The brand gives you that that platform to do it. So yeah, um, it ticks an awful lot of boxes for me.
0: Yeah, and as I said, it's the heritage, isn't it? It's one of them very few British brands that's, that holds that weight yeah. in industry. And it's so, I knew, I think I've known most of the previous directors as well. They've all said the same thing. It's just such an opportunity and and it's so exciting. You mentioned, obviously, the economy. I hear it daily. The retail sector and fashion and stuff is, is struggling. But there is also so much to be excited about in this industry. I am obsessed with digital. But it is the most incredible industry and I would never recruit outside of it. Mm. As hard as it gets, there's no better industry in the world. I, I will stand by that. What do you think is exciting about this digital world and what we've got coming up?
1: I think we have barely scratched the surface of Omni. Mm-hmm. And I think we've barely scratched the surface of personalization. So I think on Omni, there's a huge amount more that could be done, not just on the kind of customer experience side, but also on that, you know, when I look at interactive screens in stores, that makes me excited as a marketer because I know so much cool stuff is there that, that can be done. And I think, apart from Omni, generative AI is not the be-all and end-all that people say it's going to be. But if I think about how that might interface with personalization, specifically on the site, but also in kind of SMS, WhatsApp, etc., there's some pretty cool stuff I think that's that's gonna that's gonna come up out of that around kind of more immersive one-to-one experiences so yeah I'm I'm excited about the longer term future there
0: I'm gonna throw a random question here because I am in this tunnel at the minute where do you know when you're having these conversations because all I do every day is talk to people at digital and I hear so much negative and I'm like, I'm sick of it. I just want to hear good stuff. So if you could summarize digital in the next twelve months in five words, what would they be?
1: Oh, what well, d- did commerce, right? In the next e
0: commerce, yeah.
1: Twelve months.
0: In the next in twelve the next... months, how would you describe it?
1: Tough. Yep. I don't think the customer environment is gonna get much better anytime soon. I really don't, the economy. Competitive. Mm-hmm. And let's be frank, you know, doom and gloom, Reese, jigsaw, knocking it out of the park. You know, there are brands out there who are growing and growing really fast. It's just
0: so. means that one of my favorite brands in on the planet, Reese is a yeah. They're doing so well.
1: Yeah, big fan of myself. So yeah, Puff, competitive. I think exciting in the sense that. You know, when 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 innovation is high and competition is tough, that paves the way for brands who can take a leap of faith and do exciting, cool stuff. Mm. That that provides a route. So that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I don't want to sound negative, but expensive, right? So you know, <laughs> cost the cost of digi marketing is is becoming really hard to square. And I think what's What's interesting, I mean, if you look at kind of ASOS, you know, what they've done is, is nearly broken their business by over-meeting customer expectations. And then you add the added costs on and it makes it very fragile. So so I think, you know, expensive is, is the key and it's going to be really crucial for brands to balance that off because rising cost of customer expectation plus rising cost of digital media equals difficulty on margin and then I guess the fifth word although it's two is is customer driven so I'm seeing a real return to post-COVID what do customers want what do they need who are they where should we focus where's growth CRM all that stuff that I love and I think is really important I think perhaps during COVID maybe some brands lost their way a bit because growth was so easy. You could just kind of put money in the digital marketing slot machine and everybody grew and customers had a lot of cash post-COVID or a lot of them did. And that's not the case now. So I'm really, I really believe, and I I think a lot of brands are, f- are feeling this when I look at the roles that are coming up, that, you know, customer-driven growth and loyalty is going to be, it's going to be quite big.
0: Absolutely. That it's wasn't again. five
1: words though, sorry. Terry. We'll
0: take it, we'll take it. No one's <laughs> counting, they're just listening. Yeah, and um, we we we'll say it was five. We we got. I think moving into these businesses, leadership roles are absolutely vital, aren't they? Taking your team on a journey, which is something I know you're so passionate about. I've, I know you, it's something you're dedicated to. Mm. What's your approach on leadership? How do you get the best out of people?
1: I'm trying to be objective now and think about when. When old members of my team have what they've said that they like about working with me. Not all of them do, clearly. Um, (laughs) So so I will bring a lot of enthusiasm to the job, always. Yeah. And I think it's the leader's job when morale is poor. And, you know, when times are tough, I think it is the leader's job to be at the forefront, driving, making sure everyone's coming along for the ride and providing kind of really visible, hands-on positive you know positive experience and I'm making you know work shouldn't be a drag
0: Mm. if
1: work's a drag you hate your job like that's really miserable so so my view has always been you know if I've got people who are unsavourable really hate their jobs you know I'll help you find another one fine but you know don't be here don't drag yourself down don't drag everyone else down so the positivity I think is really key for me and then thing that is always a non-negotiable for me in terms of operating, is once you've done that strategy work, you've worked out what you need to do, you've got your initiatives locked, you've got your budget, is to really quickly chunk that up into the plan on a page that everybody should be able to read, do, see, know what we're doing quarter by quarter, both in your team and outside the team. That Planning backwards is really important to me. It's it's the thing that I I learned at eBay and has been the most valuable thing I've ever learned, which is the value of having a really clear plan that anyone can talk about. And at eBay, it was fantastic, phenomenal in terms of the internal comms operation. You know, you'd have three global priorities. And our CEO would say, you need to be working on one, two or three. And if you're not working on one, two or three, then you're doing the wrong job. And so everyone was super focused on the job that needed to be done. So that's a really important way I like to operate, which is, are we all clear? Is the business clear? What we're doing? What's going to happen when? And who's going to do it? Which sounds really noddy, doesn't it? But that is, for me, a way that you don't end up with any surprises at the end of the year. And everyone's really clear about what they're contributing to the effort and, and how the job they're doing right now is kind of delivering the result.
0: So we've heard obviously how you you like to lead and inspire. But who inspired you throughout your career? Who's been that, who's made the biggest impacts on, on yourself?
1: Hard to name an individual because I've generally had wonderful, inspiring, intelligent, great leaders. Um, so too many to mention, but I think one of the things and it comes back to what we talked about earlier, one of the things that is probably most stand out about the leaders I've had that I've really enjoyed working for and where I've got most out of it is they push you they push you beyond your comfort zone and they'll say well, have you thought about that or go and do that or I know you don't want to go on that working group but I really need you to make time because it is it, working with a V it's working with that VP and you need to get to know them so it's you know, I think as a, a leaders, I've grown and learned the most particularly as someone that's had a non-traditional route What you really want is is a leader that goes. You know what? Just go and do that for a bit. You need to learn. Mm. That's yeah. They're the leaders that help you become a leader yourself. I think.
0: I love that. And and if you could give any advice to the listeners who are starting out their careers, what would that be?
1: Become one of those people. Doesn't matter whether you're new grads, whether you're early doors. The sooner you can get yourself on that list of, I know Joe. He's good. I'd love to work. I'd love him to work in my department. That's how you get promoted. That's how you get new opportunities. You know, do whatever you can do to make sure people know who you are, that you're good at your job. Make small talk with the senior leadership team in the kitchen. Doesn't have to be a life story, but say hi. Make sure they know who you are and that you're good at what you do and that you're open to other things. That for me, I think, has been one of the biggest door openers and where I've always pushed my teams. When they have big ambitions. Um, Not everybody does, but that's always my advice. To To become one of those
0: people people know.
1: Yeah, absolutely that.
0: Love that. My final question on the topic of what this channel is all about is as a female leader in in huge organisations, have there been challenges or hurdles that you've had to overcome?
1: Biggest one for me personally, specifically, I guess, related to being a woman is when you are one of the youngest people in the room and a woman it can be hard to find your how do I say this your persona Mm -hmm. so you never want to be that kind of blonde bimbo in the corner because you're the youngest so you might overplay your hand and be you know too strident too demanding too much and then equally on the flip side you might think, oh God, well, I've I'm over projecting there. So I've got to I've got to lean much more over there on the empathy side and be sweet and unthreatening and all that stuff. And I think that can be quite exhausting if you're in the early stages of leadership roles. If you're particularly if you're one of the only females around the table and the youngest. So I think finding your persona is really important. And actually the net result for me is I'm pretty much the same person in work as I am outside of work now. And that's probably the best way to be yeah. and be your authentic self. But it takes a while to get there, I think.
0: Absolutely. And and this is the final question. What does We Inspire mean to you?
1: I think it's really important that, you know, I guess to go back to the earlier point, you know, you need to, to grow. It's really important to listen to other people's stories and think about how that might relate to you or how what you've heard might help you feel more, I guess, in tune with experiences that your team might have. I think the more that women talk about the things that have gone well and the things that have not gone well and things that have worked for them that might work for you, that that can only really help.
0: Amazing. Ria, thank you so much for joining me. This has been an absolute pleasure. Welcome.
1: Um, Thank you so much for the invitation. I've enjoyed it
0: no look honestly i wish you all the best in your your new role can't wait to hear all about that that is the end of another episode for us here at we inspire react again thank you so much for sharing your incredible career that you've had there will be another episode so please stay tuned and we'll see you soon okay
1: bye